Hello, friends. This is Sarah Buino here. Welcome to Conversations with the Wounded Healer. I am talking with Rachel Grant today. And Rachel Grant is the owner and founder of Rachel Grant Coaching, and she is a sexual abuse recovery coach. She's the author of Beyond Surviving, the final stage in recovery from sexual abuse. And she works with survivors of childhood sexual abuse who are beyond sick and tired of feeling broken, unfixable, and burdened by the past. And she helps them let go of the pain of abuse and finally feel normal. And I'm going to put normal in quotes because let's be honest, we're all fucking crazy. But um, I I understand. And and when you listen to her talk, I think you'll understand what she means by normal. So I think it's really interesting how Rachel and I came to this moment of doing this interview. She no, she didn't send me an email. Her assistant sent me an email and said, Hey, you know, my boss, Rachel is really interested in being in your podcast. And you know, would you have her on? And to be totally honest, my initial response was, who's this bitch? I am a total snob when it comes to letting people in my life. I'm really like particular and especially about this podcast too, right? Like I want to be protective of this and not dilute it in a way where I'm not holding people to a a certain standard, I guess, that I'm, that I'm trying to set with this podcast and the level of healing work that, God, that makes me sound so judgmental. I'm, I think I'm a little judgmental today. Funny aside, there used to be a blockbuster that I would go to all the time. And my boyfriend at the time, uh, his roommate worked there and they had a guy who worked in the blockbuster named Alex and they always called him judgmental Alex. And so whenever my husband and I are being judgmental, we're like, okay, judgmental Alex, because I guess Alex like hated all the movies. Anyway, I think I am a little judgmental today. And I got to be honest, I'm recording this on Mother's Day and it's been a rough day for me. And I am surprised by that, but also not surprised at the same time. And I think that that discomfort that I'm feeling about this day is causing me to be a little crunchier and more judgmental. So I kind of just want to call myself out on that and share that. Total digression. Back to the story of Rachel. So I, I looked Rachel up online, and I'm like, okay, this seems pretty cool. And then you know, we we set up a little Skype date just to kind of get to know each other and, and see if we were on the same page. And instantly, I was totally relieved. And I got to be honest, too, most therapists that I know are very judgmental of coaches and this kind of fear of this, like, okay, one, two, three, fix it sort of thing. But I, I obviously like didn't find Rachel to be in that category. And as you'll hear in our conversation you know, her awareness and incorporation of the nuances of this healing, I think are really, really important because there is no one-stop shop to fix trauma or anything really. And I think that you'll, you'll find Rachel's approach very, (laughs) her approach is approachable, (laughs) but it is right. The way that she frames recovery from sexual abuse. I think, I think she's done it very succinctly and beautifully. And I hope that it will resonate with you, whether you're a survival of, of, of sexual abuse or not, as we get into this in the podcast, you know, the, the tips that she talks about, are, are I suppose moving from this place of victimhood to survivorhood to beyond surviving, I think applies to everyone. So please enjoy my interview with Rachel Grant. Hello, Rachel. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Thank you, Sarah. It's such a pleasure to be here with you. Hooray. Happy Sunday. Thanks. Yes. Great, <laughs> great day that we are here yeah. on the weekend hanging out. So Coats. appreciate it. Of course. Hanging out in my closet where I record. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm in my bedroom. So there we go. We're right. all nice and cozy. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. How are you doing today? Very well. Yeah, it's a beautiful day here in San Francisco. I'm getting ah, ready you jerk. <laughs> with you. I know, right? It's all sunshiny and beautiful. And I'm actually heading down to um, every year on Mother's Day weekend, actually, the um, Native American tribes from around the country come together and meet in Stanford for a powwow. Huh. And uh, I happen to be Native American mm-hmm. in addition to just loving the culture. So we're going to head down and enjoy that today. But oh, wow. I'm glad to be here to chat with you to start my day, though. 
Oh, awesome. Well, thank you for taking that time out. That does sound like a cool gathering. Let's jump into it. How about you tell folks who you are and what you do? Well, so hello, beautiful community. And so nice to be here with you today and have this opportunity to connect and introduce myself. My name is Rachel Grant, and I work with survivors of childhood sexual abuse who are really just sick and tired of feeling broken and unfixable. And like, there's just nothing that's ever going to help or or make things better. And I have the great joy and honor of walking alongside survivors and helping them break free from the pain of abuse and finally move on with their lives and really step in to a life that is not about just recovery, but that is really about living and living to your fullest and being who you really were meant to be before any of that bullshit happened to you. Mm -hmm. And you just get to go out and live your life day to day from that place. Mm. I am always envious of people who have really awesome elevator speeches. That was beautiful. (laughs) But it didn't sound it didn't sound like an elevator speech. That's what made it so beautiful. Thanks. So nice work. A plus on that. It's funny. I, I was thinking about this before we started. I think that therapists who transition into the coaching role are so much more comfortable with the marketing and the like advertising aspect of it that is so fucking uncomfortable for me. And it's really Mm. hard to do authentically. And what you just did was extremely authentic, but also perfectly like packaged for marketing and advertising. So a fucking plus. Hey, thanks, Sarah. <laughs> it's been hard one. It's been hard one because I can t- certainly relate. And I, yeah, I, I struggled so much with how to talk about what I do and what my passion is. And I actually worked with a mentor for about two years. But mm. in the first, you know, six months of that work, a big piece of the the puzzle was figuring that out. And I have to say, one of the the best things that I did in in my journey was really begin to interview people mm. and. And find out the language that they were really using to describe their experience. Hmm. That made such a big difference for me. And it was interesting because from where I was in my journey at that time, some of these words, like I could still connect to them, but they also felt a little more distant. Hmm. And so the way I was talking about it when I began my work was almost from the place of where I was and wanted them to get Hmm. to as opposed to where they were feeling. And so making that little switch, yeah, has made a, a big difference for me and, and how I connect with my audience. Well, I'd love to hear the the pathway that led you to where you are now. When we spoke earlier, we, we've got this Chicago connection because you went to the University of Chicago yeah. for social work, right? Oh, I actually did my degree in English oh, uh, shit. at the University of Chicago. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's right. Right. Yeah, life's, you know, one of those winding stories. I really right? thought I was going to be a high school teacher. Me that too. That was my degree. I was going to be, I was going to be a music teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Oh Lord. So yeah, I really had in mind that that was the world I was going to go into education and I completed my degree in English at the university of Chicago. But while I was there, I had the opportunity to work in their neighborhood schools program and was going and spending time at after school programs Mm -hmm. and working with kids. I actually ended up with this amazing woman, Sue Duncan. I mention her name anytime I can. I don't even know she's still on this earth, but mm. she was so pivotal in my growth as a human being. And mm. she was this fabulous hippie chick who had wow. started this, you know, basement after school program where moms and families came and brought their children anywhere from toddler baby all the way up to 18. And one of the things that happened for me, though, so I was in my early 20s when I was doing this work and and I started hanging out with the teenagers and Sarah, I had this moment of like, oh my gosh, I do not like these people. I know. <laughs> I know. We have to whisper it because that sounds like we're assholes, but it's true. Teenagers <laughs> suck. Like, oh my gosh, I can't and you know, I think part of it was my age, right? We were so mm-hmm. close in age and, mm-hmm. and these sorts of things, but it really threw my world into like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with myself? And that's how I found my way towards 
elementary education Mm. and started working with the little ones. And after I graduated, I came back to St. Louis where my then partner was. And I started working at a private elementary school in their after school program. And then eventually said, hey, you know, I kind of need a a real, real job. Do you have Mm -hmm. anything here? And they said, yeah, we have this computer lab where uh, nobody's really doing anything with it. You want to take that over? And so I was thrown into this world of developing curriculum Wow! for second graders through sixth graders to teach them word processing and computer skills and keyboarding. And so building it from the ground up. Huh. And I, I only mention that because much later in my life, when my journey turned again and I stepped into this world of, okay, I'm going to be a coach and I'm going to support people and I, I want to develop a program, that those years in education and curriculum development played such an important role in my development of the Beyond Surviving program. I bet, yeah. And, you know, one thing led to another. I found myself in California. My, I had gotten married and my husband got into Stanford. And so that's what brought us out to California. Mm. And I, it was another one of those moments in my life where it was a, a change, a turn. Okay, what am I going to do now? Do I want to stay in this world of education? Do I want to, you know, go into the world of psychology? All these options. Do I want to be an editor for a magazine? You know, there are all sorts mm-hmm. of things. But what I turned my attention to was nannying. Mm. (laughs) You know, I really just want to spend some years with some kids and really focus on helping them be, you know, great little human beings. The education piece is there, but the social piece is there as well. The autonomy, which I really love, was a part of that. And so I spent eight years as a nanny. Hmm. But as those kids were getting older and the, you know, the nanny light was starting to fade, (laughs) they weren't me as much. I had another place in my life where I thought, okay, what's next? And one of my friends, uh, as we were talking about this, said, I think it's time for you to go to grad school. Hmm. To which I immediately said, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do any more school. I don't yeah. want to go. But uh, she said, Rachel, I think it's, you gotta, it's time for you to turn more and more to your purpose. And all of these steps that you've taken have played a part of that, but now, now it's time. And so I enrolled in a master's program in counseling psychology here in San Francisco, but I mm. started my business at the same time. I've always been one of those people, oh, wow. Sarah, you know, I just want to like do everything out do of order. It. Yeah. <laughs> I don't tell me to wait. I'm going. So I just decided to start it. And I, I called all sorts of coaches and did informational interviews and tried to learn more about the coaching industry because I already had an an inkling at the beginning, even though I was going into this counseling psychology world that I was probably going to end up as a coach and not a therapist. Why? Tell me about that. Cause that's, I find that an interesting distinction for people. Yeah. Well, my, my sense of it when I was first starting was that I wanted to work in a way that was focused on present day mm-hmm. and very oriented and that I wanted to look very, very closely at solution And Mm -hmm. I didn't want to delve a lot into the history. Why? (laughs) Sorry, I just have so many questions. Why? (laughs) Yeah, no, it's great. Um, Because I feel like that's an important, I have more, I have a better, you know, back then it was all just kind of a sense of things. Today, I understand it and can articulate it much more clearly after 11 years of doing this, Mm -hmm. why that was. But my instinct was that therapy was a really great safe space for people to talk about their trauma and to explore it Mm -hmm. and become almost familiar with it and comfortable with it. And I knew that I had the capacity to do that, but I also knew that I wasn't very interested in diagnosing people. Mm-hmm. I wasn't very interested in sitting in that space with people. Mm-hmm. And my personality doesn't lend towards that in a lot of ways. Even with friends, you know, I'm kind of the friend that they call when they're ready to like to do something about it. Oh, interesting. <laughs> like, okay. Okay. You to just like vent about it and talk about it. Like I can do that if you very specifically ask me to mm-hmm. do that. But otherwise, if you're calling me, we're probably going to start talking about, well, okay, how are we going to resolve this? What are we going to do? And uh, that felt like that was what the coaching world was really all about. Can I ask some more and, questions um, about that? I'm getting I'm getting all like therapisty now because I'm just curious because I think that when I jump into fix it mode, I know that it's because I'm uncomfortable with that person's emotion or 
my sense of needing to be needed kicks in because I want to fix your problem for you. Like, I'm curious if you relate to any of that. Yeah, I think it also had a lot to do with where I was in my own personal healing. Mm. You know, um, when I was sexually abused by my grandfather when I was 10, Mm -hmm. from like, let's say 10 to roughly 11, 11 and a half, the abuse probably started earlier than that. But I always mark it him because that's when I have the most conscious memory Mm -hmm. of the abuse starting. I really went into that place of denial. Like this is, Mm. I don't want to talk about it. I just want to pretend everything is okay. And I stayed in that place until my early 20s. And then that's when I went into therapy and I started, you know, going to groups and I I started acknowledging that I had been sexually abused and it had affected me and needed to be dealt with. And so I spent probably my early 20s to about my mid 20s in that kind of inquiry that I wait with therapy. There's a lot changing today, right? Therapists are starting to do a lot of things differently. But back then, that was definitely the space of, you know, how do you feel about that? Right, right. (laughs) These sorts of things, which again, very good. And I needed that. I needed a place where I could just vomit it all out. Right. And I wasn't Mm going to be necessarily told what to do about it or supported. But by my mid twenties, things had really shifted. I had done a lot of healing work and I was starting to become really frustrated with this process of Mm. talking and talking talking about my experience. Yes. Yes. And when I would actually, I was actually starting to be more forthright with my, you know, my healing helpers and say, Mm -hmm. you know, so what do you think I should do about this? Mm. And what did they say? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What do you think you should do? Oh, that's fucking bullshit. That's, I'm sorry. Boo. Not good. good. I'm like, well, if I knew what to do, I would not be sitting here paying you. I would just go do it. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. And then my life was also changing. So I had been in an abusive relationship for 10 years Mm -hmm. and that had taken a real toll on my spirit and on my sense of self. And when we divorced in 2006, I was scared shitless about my life. And I was in this new apartment. I had just a sleeping bag and a lamp. And I had one of those like, oh, fuck moments, right, Sarah, where I was like, okay, it was the little talking to moment where I was like, Rachel, you have got to get your shit together. If you do not figure this out, you're going to spend the rest of your life just miserable Mm -hmm. and frustrated and fighting and just going through every day, just like white knuckling it, right? Like, I I can get through this day. Okay, get through this day. And that's really what led to my obsession with answering, with looking at this differently. Mm-hmm. And so by the time I really wanted to answer that question, how, how do we heal the mm-hmm. injury? And so all of this is happening at the same time. I'm going into my program. I'm starting my business. I'm having these, you know, <laughs> this is a knowing laugh. Like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Yeah. So much happening. And so, yeah. And so I was at that place in my journey where I wanted to find out for myself what's next. What is next? I remember this moment with this uh, a guy we were talking and I was sharing a little bit about my journey. And he said to me, Sarah, you know, Rachel, I'm just I'm inspired. You're such a survivor. You've gone through so much and you've really, you know, made it through. And you're, yeah, I just really admire what a survivor you are. And this poor guy, because he did not know what he had coming that day. And I didn't know uh, <laughs> that either, but it just hit something in me. It's like a hit a point of anger, I think. Mm, yeah. where I just kind of, you know, went off on him a little bit and was like, you know what? Fuck that. I'm, I'm sick of being a survivor. That yeah. is not a badge of honor. That is not the way I want to live my life. Mm-hmm. There has to be something beyond surviving. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those moments where he just kind of smiled. He was such a great guy because he just kind of smiled and he said, well, there's the name of your program. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so bit by bit, I started piecing all this together. And during my program, I also became really obsessed with neuroscience. Mm. Nerd it out. I love it. Nerd it out. Man, I I came across Dan Siegel's work Mm -hmm. and... So many things that he was talking about in his book, The Developing Mind. I was like, oh my gosh, that's why I do this. Yeah. Okay, that's 
happening in my brain that's causing me to react this way. Oh, that's what is actually happening on a neurological level when I'm feeling triggered. Mm-hmm, okay, got mm-hmm. it. And so that's really when I real I realized, okay, I can take all of this information and I can create really simple, really doable strategies and techniques mm. that will help me to heal my brain. Mm. Healing my brain, I can heal this injury of trauma and guarantee that I don't spend the rest of my life in recovery. So I was thinking about that moment where I just was so like, whoa, okay, here it is. And for the many, you know, for the next couple of years, I was just a guinea pig for, you know, myself. Okay, let me try this. What is, okay, I I don't know how to do this in my life. Let me figure out what I need to learn. Part of it, I think, Sarah, too, was realizing that I had missed a lot of life skills. Just Mm. how do you get through life kind of stuff? Because Mm -hmm. I was in the midst of trauma and pushing away trauma and reacting to trauma. Mm-hmm. And so setting boundaries and how to trust and communication and these sorts of things were like really foreign to me. And so I realized that it was it was really two sides of a coin here. One side was healing the trauma and one side of the coin was learning these skills that I hadn't learned. Mm-hmm. And side by side is how I could, you know, really become whole and complete and able to live Mm. my life powerfully. And so, and then I had some great mentors who guided me along the way and, you know, gave me my first clients and supported me. And I started working with others to see if what I had created would translate and help them heal the way Mm -hmm. it had helped me. And, you know, thank goodness it did. And 11 years Mm. later, that's I do. I work with men and women all over the country, all over the world, taking them through this Beyond Surviving program. I want to ask you, I'm going to ask you about the word recovery, because it sounds like you and I view it in very different ways. And this is one of the cool things I think about this podcast is I'm, I'm recognizing that based on the way that we're framing any word, whether we're putting some sort of judgment on it or not, is how we do or don't identify with it, right? Like the word healer and wounded healer and all of that. And so it sounds to me like the word recovery for you, I'm not going to say has a negative connotation, but but a less positive connotation than it does in my life. Because I think about, you know, working with addiction, you know, mm-hmm. addiction is something that you don't, it's not, you don't heal it. It's just, it's always there. And it's a part that you kind of work with. And I think of my own self as it continue, like, how do I put it? Because the process of healing for me always continues, but not in, not in a way that pushes me into this, like, oh, you're a survivor. Because I yeah. hear, I hear that. I'm almost hearing that you equated the word survivor with victim. Okay. Yeah. Let me, uh, I'm happy to talk about that because that is definitely one of the things I'm really passionate about is Mm -hmm. trying, is supporting folks and kind of understanding this model that has worked for me. And there are exactly, as you say, Sarah, lots of different models and ways of relating to things. And so the way that I think about this is the first stage is victim. Mm -hmm. And that stage is really either you are in the victim place because you're being victimized. Mm -hmm. Or you're in denial. Hmm. You're in that place of, I cannot look at this. I don't want to look at it. I don't want to deal with it. I want to just push it away. Mm -hmm. And the reason I equate that with victimhood is because there's no healing that's possible there. No, there's not. Right. And so the next stage is survivor. And Mm -hmm. the bridge from victim to survivor is acknowledgement. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. As soon as you say, this happened to me, I can't deny it anymore. I can't pretend it's not there. Ah, that moves you into the survivor stage. And I definitely do not think of the survivor stage as a negative. I definitely, Mm -hmm. I don't want that to come across. Mm -hmm. The survivor stage is a very important stage in the healing process. It is when you get the opportunity to say, this is what happened to me. Mm -hmm. These are the experiences that I've had. You start to seek out safe spaces to do that. You start Mm -hmm. to notice that you're not alone, that there are other people who have gone through this. And you start to understand yourself a little better, right? Like, oh, this is why I like get upset and throw temper tantrums, right? That was mine, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Oh, yeah. This is why I'm always pushing people away. This is why I Mm -hmm. keep, you know, struggling in my work and or I have a hard time focusing. So that moment of starting to, first of all, acknowledge your experience and then to understand the impact of your experience. 
it's critical. Yeah. It is critical. That's where so much of the foundation work happens. And lots of beautiful healing happens in that stage as well. Now, the next thing that I think of is the beyond surviving stage. And Mm -hmm. I would also say that I I somewhat equate the survivor stage with the recovery stage. Mm. So those two words sometimes I think of synonymously because when you're in that place, you're kind of really in your trauma, right? Mm. You're like, you're feeling it, you're experiencing it, and there's a lot of work to do. and, um, And things are still really hard. You haven't yet really figured out how to manage yourself, how to manage mm. your life, out independent of the trauma or the, the abuse experience that you've had. Mm-hmm. When you reach that place where you're, okay, I, I think I feel, you know, I've given this time and attention and acknowledgement. And now the question that I'm asking myself more and more is, what do I do about this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Okay, I've got it. I understand it. Now, what do I do? That question is what leads you into this beyond surviving stage. Other people call it thriving or, mm-hmm. um, you know, and to my mind, the beyond surviving stage is different from the recovery stage. So when we are in the beyond surviving stage, we have reached a place where we have a high, we have a first of all a, a distance between the past and the mm, and our, mm-hmm. when you're in the survivor stage, it's all like it's it feels like it's all right, right there. there. Yeah. When you're in the beyond surviving stage, you can say, I was sexually abused and I went to Target yesterday and bought some shoes. <laughs> and they have all right. the same chart, right? Right. Yeah. And it's not about, you know, minimizing the experience or dismissing it or belittling it. It's just that all of that charge and energy around the trauma has dissipated. Mm-hmm. And it's become integrated as an experience that you've had integration that's yeah uh, yeah that's the word yeah and so when um and then the other side of that so first of all you have this distance between you know yourself and this past trauma and you have a higher capacity to negotiate and navigate your day-to-day so that when something happens rather than it throwing you all the way back in to your trauma past and your trauma brain and all that, you go, oh, okay, here's the tool that I'm going to use to manage this. Oh, yeah, I have choice. I have authorship. I have authority, autonomy, adulthood, right? To navigate what's happening in my life. Um, and so you, you're able to really strongly self-resource in those when you're in that stage of healing. And... Um, it's interesting because the the folks that I talk to who work with addicts and work in that field, this does come up because there is this sense of what's what's the distinction in that realm? Because when you identify as an addict, you hold that as an as a label, an identification to remind yourself that you have something that you are managing, right? Maybe you you might be able to say this better than I am. <laughs> well, I do. I mean, it, it, I do yeah. kind of have a thought about it because as you. As you were describing this, it sounds to me like it doesn't matter what the thing is that you need to be healed from. I think trauma and sexual abuse in particular, like it forces you to either you look at it and have capacity to kind of take charge of your life or you don't look at it and you suffer your whole life. Right. But I think that, and I think that about addiction too. I always tell my clients that I think that you were called to do something really special in this world. Otherwise you would be dead. And to get to that point that you are offered the choice of recovery, I think is a, is a life-changing opportunity. But I also think everybody can either survive or thrive. Like I'm thinking about people who, you know, I'm going to say just with quotes around it, just struggle with like anxiety or whatever it is that one's day-to-day struggle is. And you could identify with that and continue to hold it and tell yourself that there's nothing more you can do. I'm just, I'm just managing this or 
you can mm-hmm. try to go to the next level. And I think the next level yeah. is really thriving. And for my folks who have, you know, a longer term recovery, that's, that is where they are. And I, I completely understand what you're saying now is this, this integration space. And I would also add to it, there's like a mindful component to it where you're yes. able to be on the outside of it and look at yourself and be like, oh, look, there's my addiction popping up or there's mm-hmm. my trauma popping up or there's my Beautiful. anxiety. And I have a choice about what I do with it now. And that's, you know, some of my clients and I talk about the difference between like, I'm getting a lot of folks who are struggling with the AA community in Chicago right now saying that it's not necessarily a healthy place because there are a lot of people who seem stuck in this, I'm an addict or alcoholic and that over identification with the disease. Mm -hmm. And what, what we talk about in the therapy room is like, you as a client have that opportunity to make another choice that you don't have to continue to identify with that. If that is a label that is going to keep you stuck. Beautiful. Yeah. Oh man. I love the word that you used in there of choice. Mm-hmm. That I think is one of the biggest distinctions that I felt in my own life mm. when I, it was, it was definitely like a, almost like a marker in my life where mm. I went from this place of hands up in the air. I don't have any choice. I was abused as a kid. This mm-hmm. is how it's going to be. This is how things are going to happen. These are the, this is how my life is going to look to, I have some choice about that. And mm-hmm. I have some say about that mm-hmm. and I can get resources and tools and skills that support that, right? That right. help me make those choices and become empowered in that way. Yeah. I sometimes tell my clients that Beyond Surviving is at first a program that you're going through that's teaching you some things and helping you understand yourself and get clarity. And then after you graduate, it's a lifestyle. Right. It's about that maintenance. I love that, you know, that idea of going from management <laughs> where I feel yeah. like I'm just trying to get through to maintenance. It's just like anything else, right, Sarah? Like if mm-hmm. I decide I want to have a healthy body, right? Mm-hmm. And I go out and I, you know, do that work to get that. But then I say, all right, got it. And then I sit down on the couch and I don't move mm-hmm. <laughs> for mm-hmm. five years, right? right? Everything, it's all going to go away. And and our brain and our nervous system and our, our spirit, you know, our emotions, they need that same kind of love and attention and maintenance. And I, I love what you said there, too, about just that mindfulness and that mm-hmm. awareness mm-hmm. that you're noticing it. Uh-oh, man, I'm getting a little, little pudgy around the middle. Better mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, whatever it might be. Though I love being pudgy around the middle, so. <laughs> yes, own it. I, I want to take some of that from you. <laughs> so, but the idea there, I think that's been helpful for me in framing what my life can really look like has been, okay, I, it, it is going to be this shift. And that's really what I try to bring forward for my clients so they can really see, okay, all right, there is something next. And this work that I've been doing at this stage is super important and critical. And that is where I think therapy is super powerful, mm-hmm. right? Men and women who can sit and hold that kind of space um, as people are really just in the pain of it and the acknowledgement and fully present with that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, Um, It's so powerful. And I just want people not to get stuck there. Similar to what you're saying, you know, what's happening in AA sometimes is that there is a next, this is not a life sentence. Yeah. And I think that can generally happen in in the therapy room that, I mean, that you perfectly described it when your therapist said to you, well, what do you think you need to do to heal? And I think that that's, I'm I'm a sound judgmental guys. Sorry, here it comes. But I think that that is when a therapist hasn't done their work to go to the next step, right? Like if you're a therapist who is managing instead of thriving and, you know, doing this deep work in order to get to the next step for yourself, then it's hard to take a client there because you don't even know it's possible. I love one of my, my favorite mentors. He always says, there's no healer who is perfect and done with their work. Mm -hmm. But if you are a healer, you need to at least be a few steps ahead mm-hmm. of the people you are helping. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Love that. <laughs> oh, I shared yeah. before. I have one client who I am literally like just a couple steps ahead of him. Oh, like he'll bring uh-huh. something in and I'm like, I just motherfucking talked about this with my therapist. Like, how are you right behind me? <laughs> 
It's just brilliant, I, though. It's 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 lovely, and that's that's the piece of you know parallel process that I find so exciting. Yeah, it is. It is. And, you know, I think every client who I work with, they absolutely add to my own, you know, construct of myself, my sense of Mm -hmm. who I am, my sense of what's possible. You know, I reach higher capacities of, you know, who I am Mm -hmm. through the conversations that I have. And and that is one thing that I love about this journey Mm -hmm. alongside just seeing people really get their lives back. You know, we have such an epidemic in this world of abuse. Yeah. You know, um, resources are not as as abundant as they need to be. And I'm always Mm -hmm. in the of, you know, how how can I increase my impact? What can I do to make things more accessible? And and I'm, you know, one person. So what does that look like? How do I expand? And these are big questions that I struggle with as a entrepreneur, as a business Mm -hmm. owner, as a healer, but important questions to ask. And for every person, it really inspires me when I think about not just that one person, but the trickle down effects of that one person being healed. Exactly. What happens in their partnerships, what happens in their communities. And certainly for the men and women who I work with, who are parents, you Mm -hmm. know, I'm super excited when I hear them say, oh, I'm teaching clear requests to my kids. (laughs) I'm like, yes, that's awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I try to think about that too, because as just one person, you certainly can't. And I, I think we go into this business because we do want to heal. We do want to help. And, you know, I certainly, part of me wanted to save people and all of these sorts of things and, and realizing that it is helping a lot of people, even when you're helping one person, because you're right. It's that like ripple effect of who else are they impacting? Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Most definitely. Well, let's, cause you've dropped the healer bomb a couple times. So let's shift into that place. How do you conceptualize the word healer in terms of your own work? Yeah. I think of myself as a companion in another person's journey. Mm-hmm. I really think of it as walking alongside someone and then sometimes, just as we were just talking about, a little step ahead. <laughs> right. You know, so I imagine it like we're out on a hike together and we're having a conversation and we hit places in the path where I need to go a little bit forward. You know, it's too narrow. So I go forward. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. And then that person follows behind. But in every step, anytime I'm ahead, I'm really always trying to bring myself to that place of really trying to make it such that they feel like I am right there next to them where they are in that moment. Right. And bring back in my experience. Yeah, I remember when it was like that. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you a little bit about my experience with that and what my life was like. Mm-hmm. And I think that was another big reason why I went into coaching. When I first was experimenting with this idea, this was back in the days when I went to church. <laughs> God mm. and I are in a different place these days, but you know. Yeah, <laughs> like I love how that shifts. But uh, I went to the care pastor at my church and I said, I know there are other women here who have been abused. And mm. I think it would be really badass if we had a program for survivors of sexual abuse. And he, as it turned out, had also been sexually abused. Oh, wow. And he shared his story with me. And so I launched this just free program and I was using a different curriculum at the time, a, another woman's book, Shelter from the Storm, which I refer to in my own book because there are so many great little pieces from that. But I also was already starting to build in things that I, I felt like were missing. But at the end of the first round of that, one of the participants came to me and she said, you know, I'm really thankful for all the things that I learned and the tools that I now have and the things that have shifted for me. But the thing that's made the biggest difference for me was every time you told your story. Yep. Or you identified and talked mm-hmm. about. Yeah. I, yeah. I used to lay down on the floor and kick and scream. Yep. I remember that. You know, mm-hmm. like whatever. Mm-hmm. So that really compelled me to lean towards coaching because I felt like mm-hmm. I could better integrate without as much worry or concern about, you know, breaking rules. <laughs> Which, you know, you mentioned earlier that the field of therapy is changing. And I do think that's one particular area that's changing as well. And, and as a professor of young social workers, I always try to talk about, you know, self-disclosure is not the enemy. It is not a bad thing. It's knowing that you've done your own work and that you are not sharing your story because you have to share it. You're sharing your story because it's something that the client can relate to. And I do it a lot. You know, and, and 
you know, my clients know, I think they know enough about me. They know enough about my struggles, but they don't know the, they just don't know the details. Right. And they don't need to know the details. Right. They know that I've walked down a path in similar ways. And like, I always share my perfectionist struggles pretty, Mm, I do get pretty specific about that because it's something that I don't think we talk enough about too, is recognizing how debilitating and hurtful perfectionism can be not only to oneself, but to the people around you, you know, because you become yeah. a rigid bitch sometimes. Oh, <laughs> and by you, so, I mean me. Yes. Yeah. So I have on my phone, if you look for perfection, you'll never be content. That's my screensaver. Mm, so I understand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had a feeling when you like, yeah. you, you sent me your stuff quickly right away. I was like, oh, <laughs> I smell you. I smell you because I am you. I get That's it. Right. That's right. <laughs> because God forbid you don't do it right. And that would be unacceptable. That's right. So but, sorry. Yeah, digress. I love that, Sarah. And I'm so glad to hear that. And I do see that in the field of therapy that, you know, becoming a little more solution focused. There are therapists who are blending coaching with therapy, which I think is awesome. And And being able to share your story, I think, is so powerful, exactly from that place that you're talking about, where it's, Mm -hmm. here's something that's going to illustrate what it feels like, it helps me connect, Mm -hmm. and here's what it can look like instead, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And being a model for that and supporting that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, to segue then to Wounded Healer, how do you Mm -hmm. feel about that label? Yeah, it's interesting because I know like that book that came out forever, ever ago. It's one of those books that I've never been called to pick up. It doesn't repel me. Like I don't mm-hmm, have like a re- mm-hmm. like, response to it. But there's something that just feels like it is, it's incomplete in some way. It mm-hmm. feels like I think of labels as a way of assigning a role or being representative of how I think of myself. And so it's just never fully resonated with me. And at the same time, the way that I, I think, like one of my other mentors, he always says, your message, your message. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's going to be the title of yeah. this episode, girl. Oh, yay. Love it. Yeah. And that's more what I think of. I think of myself more as like, I was a mess, honey. I was yeah. a mess. Oh, and yeah. then let me, let me tell you more about how life got a little less messy. Mm-hmm. and how I learned to navigate some of the messes that life bring us in the day to day. Because I don't necessarily, I don't really feel wounded, you know, right. and I, I don't, wouldn't carry that label. Just like I don't necessarily think of myself as, you know, even abused or mm-hmm. a survivor. Right. Yeah. You know, I think it's, I had an experience of sexual abuse. That's exactly what I thought you were going to say. It's so funny now, like doing these interviews, I really do need to do some sort of research study around this because I think it is so important about how the energy that language has for a particular person and the definitions around things frames then how we frame ourselves and how Mm -hmm. powerful that could be for clients Mm -hmm. to be able to tap into. And and I think this is probably part of like narrative therapy, right? Is being able to retell your story in a different way. But I think there's something so specific around the energy that words hold and the energy that wounded healer holds for me. is just very different than it is for you. And that's perfectly fine, right? We're doing the same shit at the end of the day. We're just putting a different framework around it. Exactly. When I was really digging in and trying to pull myself out of my mess and was reading everything I could, one of the things that I I turned back to was faith Mm. and different religions. One One of the things I've always done is just read different philosophies. And I was reading like the Buddhist text one day and I came across this quote, or, you know, just a piece of it. And it said, language. Language is one of the switches that controls our lives. Mm-hmm. Language is a lever for shifting our character. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I took that and I ran with it. It just made so much sense to me. And I thought, yeah, the language I'm using about myself, the what I'm speaking out into the world, it has a huge impact mm-hmm. on how I am feeling, how other people are perceiving me, and what might happen in my life if I just simply, and it seems too simple. I think that's one of the things, Sarah, sometimes yeah. people are like, no, this is too easy. Right, it needs to right. be, like, no, just flip the switch. 
Just change the language and your experience, how you will walk, how you will talk, how you will feel will follow along with that. And yeah, it takes practice and consistency. And there are days where it feels really like this is ridiculous and hard and not working. But yeah, that for me was a huge turning point. So I'm so, Mm -hmm. we are so in alignment in that world of the importance of language labels and and how we are framing things for sure. And I do think, because I guess I'm always trying to listen with the ear of someone who might be like skeptical of what we're saying. And I want to also put in there that sometimes it isn't that easy for people and they switch the language and then nothing changes. And then I think there's something else going on there that really does need to be uncovered in therapy. Because as you were talking earlier about the shifting from victim to survivor to beyond to, to beyond survivor, I think of, I mean, I've talked on this podcast before about my identification with being a victim and what I feel like that was doing for me in order to like, to remain identified with someone who was hurt. I had to do that because I didn't want to let my parents yeah. get away with hurting me, you know, because uh, otherwise nobody'd be able to see yeah. it. If I wasn't crazy, then everyone would be like, oh yeah, her childhood was fine. Everything was yeah, perfect. She was great. Yeah, right. And I, and I still need that recognition. So it's that, that part of me is something I've really, really for the past like year had to tap into. How do I, how do I make space for that experience, but not get stuck in there? So yeah. It's so fucking, it's, it's, it's easy and it's complicated. Thank you for calling that out. I think that's a really great distinction because yeah, one of the things I I do say is like, okay, here's a piece, right? There's more to do, Mm -hmm. of course. Mm -hmm. There's definitely more layers to, to do, Mm -hmm. but when we can connect to, oh, that's one little piece of the puzzle and that can be something that switches and oh, okay. If I grab over here and I learn how to regulate my nervous system and oh, now I understand how to interrupt the amygdala response system so that when I get triggered, Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. can interrupt that process and reclaim, you know, myself in that moment, we put all these pieces together that the individual strategies themselves are not complicated. It's the combination Mm -hmm. of them. And then that consistency and we all have the commitment and the compassion for yourself. You know, we all have moments where we like lose our shit. I go into like a moment, but the real big difference for me these days is one, the, the frequency with which that happens right, right. <laughs> is way, way less. I mean, right. it used to be like every day, multiple times a day mm-hmm. that I was in a triggered state and I was, you know, disrupted. Now that's very rare. And when I do find myself in that place, I have this higher capacity that we were talking mm-hmm. about earlier. So mm-hmm. it's kind of one of two things, either go Ah, I'm in this thing. And you know what? I don't care. I'm not using any of my tools. I'm just going to stay. Right. Yeah. That's where I am today. I'm staying on the couch and I'm just going to be okay with it. I'm going to love it, you know, be with it. But that awareness that that's what you're doing is very distinct and it is a higher level of healing. And, um, and then also the other side of that is then being able to activate and go, okay, I'm going to bring myself out of this. What choices do I want to make? And Mm -hmm. we have to have compassion on ourselves because I tell my clients all the time, you know, I've not yet figured out what tool or what skill we need to make sure that life is never hard again. Like I haven't figured that one out. (laughs) Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was just going to say the gift that Buddhism has given me, I still, I still struggle. I'm not going to identify as a Buddhist just because I feel like I'm not worthy of it yet, but that's a whole nother podcast. But the, the gift of like delving into Buddhist philosophy is it's not our circumstances. It's how we relate to our circumstances. Cause there's so much freedom in that. If I realize I don't have control over what's happening outside of me and I have to let go of that and accept, but I do have control about the way I respond. Yeah. Yeah. It's such an interesting experience. One of the things that I work on with my clients is really around this choice piece. I think for a lot of survivors of trauma, this feeling of, I don't have any choice, I don't have any say, I just have to take whatever is dished out, is uh, really dominant because that's exactly what is happening when you're being abused. You don't have any choice. You don't have any say. You do have to take whatever is being dished out. But the trap of that is we continue that patterning into our adult lives where it becomes a disservice. Mm And over and over again, when we do that lesson, it's so beautiful to me, these little moments where, where a client goes, wait, you mean I, 
I have a choice about that. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> say about what? You know, and it's one of those like, are you kidding me? For real? And it's such yeah. a beautiful moment when it clicks in. And yeah, there's work to do to get to that place and other little steps that come before that. But it is so empowering when we realize that we are not prisoners to our past. Mm-hmm. We're not prisoners to our trauma. You know, we have authority. We have the right to choose um, something we didn't have then mm-hmm. when we were abused, but we have that right today as adults. Amen. Mm. <laughs> Yay. Well, we're coming up against the hour, so I want to be mindful of time, but is there anything, I mean, I feel like we could continue talking really forever because there's so much that we, we seem to resonate on, but is there anything that we didn't talk about that you really want to, to share with listeners today? Well, I just want to offer a word of hope because I know that I'm speaking from a place of like, go out there and do it. It's great. You can live and mm-hmm. you have choice. And, and and I also want to just fully acknowledge that for some of you listening, that feels like such a foreign mm-hmm. place. And mm-hmm. like, uh, I don't know if I ever really get there kind of place. And so if you're hurting today, if you're struggling really in the struggle today, I just send you so much love mm-hmm. and I hope you will find compassion for yourself and at the same time, keep turning towards hope. Hope mm-hmm. is the activator and it is what makes transformation and healing possible. So please come connect with me. I'm always here as a resource and a support. I have free programs. I have, mm-hmm. you know, resources on the website. I have, of course, the the Beyond Surviving program, which you can invest in. But I really, one of the intentions I've set very strongly in my business is that there will be a branch that is for survivors who don't have resources. So, you know, I have a monthly support group that's free. I have online resources that are free. So email me, connect with me and happy to support however I can. RachelGrantCoaching.com is the easiest way to find me. Mm-hmm. And I thank you, Sarah, so much for this time with you. It's really one of those wonderful experiences where you have a little kindred spirit yeah. moment. We're like, we've just started to connect, but right. I just am, I'm so happy to know that you exist in this world. Same, same. <laughs> they're doing what you're doing and the world is better for it. Oh, thank you, Rachel. I feel the same way because it's, you know, in doing this podcast, one of the reasons it was I wanted to do it was because there are there's so many bad providers out there. And I'm sorry, guys, I'm, I guess maybe I'm a little salty today. I'm feeling judgmental, but there are people who are doing harm and don't know it because they're not doing their work. And, and so to find another person who is doing some really important work in a really meaningful and mindful way is a joy. And to be able to use your own story as a platform for that. That's just fucking awesome. Right on. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you so much, Rachel, for joining us on Conversations with a Wounded Healer today. I really appreciate all the connection and conversation and and all the work that you're doing in your community. And thanks as always to Andrea Clunder and Edwin Ruiz at the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for the album art photo, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. For more information on Rachel, you can visit my website at headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. And don't forget to find Conversations with the Wounded Healer on Facebook and Twitter and follow us on Spotify or subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Until next time time.